Welcome to Let's Chat, a platform for discussions around antiretroviral therapies. Today, we are discussing tenofovir alafenamide, or TAF, and its real-world application and best practice within the South African healthcare market. This podcast is brought to you by Activa Health in the interest of education, awareness and support. The content and opinions expressed are entirely those of the healthcare professionals and are not influenced by Activa Health in any way. These TAF podcasts are SOMA accredited. To access the CPD questionnaire, healthcare practitioners can click on the link in the show notes. Today, we chat to Drs. Eric Heffer and Marlon McKay about TAF and oncology. Dr. Eric is practicing as a general practitioner with special interest in the treatment of HIV and occupational health. His expertise has expanded to include comorbidities, fertility, diabetes, and oncology. Dr. Marlon is a general practitioner specializing in diabetes, HIV AIDS, hypertension, obesity, pediatrics, respiratory medicine, as well as health and wellness. He is an experienced medical doctor with a demonstrated history of working in private medical practice. He is skilled in disease management, hypertension, diabetes management, pastoral counseling, and public speaking. Doctors Eric and Marlon, thank you for your time. Let's chat. Eric, good to see you again. It's been a while. I think we were overseas the last time. Are you well? Uh, I am, thanks. Still standing, and yes, those were good memories. It was Paris and Amsterdam. Glasgow. Oh, Glasgow was here. So I think we're living in exciting times in terms of um, HIV, newer ARVs that are coming out. And as we know, we've got some good drugs, but our patients are on these drugs for lifetime. And at most, we need drugs that are safer, more tolerable, less effects on our organs, no target organ damage. And, um, and I think at this time where we see TAF becoming available, it's a great time to be alive and a great time to, to be treating our patients. Yeah, I agree. We're spoiled for choice, but this is an essential one um, because we've been using Tenofovir as our backbone for 15 years. And um, our population is aging. And with the aging, they get their comorbidities, and um, we need to take more factors into consideration. And then they have afflictions that uh, at times needs an adjustment to the ART regimen. And this gives us some assistance again. So, um, yes, uh, uh, it is very satisfying to be practicing with access to uh, most modern combinations and our patients I think are appreciating it as well yeah I think we've always said you know you'll die to our patients you'll die with HIV but not from HIV but that opens another door as you mentioned about these comorbidities and effects of being on ARVs for just for such a long time when we do have options available you know so as we know with TDF especially in terms of renal and bone what sort of patients would we be switching and where would we be looking, looking out for these types of patients that would possibly benefit from a drug like TAF? I've got a sort of a short list of patients who are very keen to migrate or switch, um, especially my patients who have shown a slight uh, deterioration in their renal function, um, comorbidities like hypertension, diabetes, uh, anybody with 
any renal damage like a single kidney uh, after kidney stone. And um, then there's some special circumstances where other drugs have caused damage to the kidneys, and it's not just always the ALTs. Uh, oncology drugs is another area where, where, where I see we, we used to be worried about the bone marrow suppression, but uh, we've got alternatives to AZT, and that has been out in Offover. And um, But Tenofovir itself is also, you've got to be very vigilant uh, when you're using it because um, renal function can deteriorate quite rapidly if you're not on top of that. Yeah, so are we are we even doing, as GPs, are we doing enough to be screening for this uh, any sort of renal toxicity in terms of SGFR, but even a simple test like a, a urine dipsticks with every checkup when patients come in? I don't think we're doing it enough because if you pick up albumin in the urine and the pH this and traces of blood, all of these things add to the early detection of pathology. And that's why our HIV patients are going to outlive our HIV negative patients is because we're seeing them more frequently and we have the opportunity to, to screen them. But are we doing enough screening on them every time? At least we're doing the blood pressures and weights and we, we start looking at those things. But um, to do the full dipsticks every time is not f- practical in, in, in a busy practice. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, yes, we, we, we're focusing on problem-orientated consultations and anything additional you do is taking some of that time so um, if, if you've got a nice system working where your the nurse has done all the vital signs and your your dipsticks beforehand that's great but um, I don't think we all have the, the luxury of that uh, infrastructure nowadays now I think you raise a very important point um, and in in my practice I tend to explain to patients that we are no longer just treating HIV or someone with HIV. We're treating you as a whole person because now you're at risk of all the other comorbidities that come with just getting older, hypertension, type 2 diabetes, dyslipidemias. And so we're not just monitoring viral loads and CD4 counts, but we need to check and follow up on all the other organs. Which brings me to another point that we're seeing quite quite a lot nowadays is these so-called non-AIDS-related malignancies and cancers. And we're seeing it in, in younger patients, colorectal cancer, cancer of the prostate. So, and I all, I'm always wondering, in, and this is in the context of an HIV patient who's on antiretrovirals, who now gets diagnosed with a cancer, how important is it for us to be monitoring and knowing the types of ARVs that the patient is on and what chemotherapy they will then be exposed to and what effect this will have either on the HIV per se or on the medication that they are taking where does where does this fit in, and how how can we how does TEF make it beneficial for our patients? Um, that's a mouthful, but um, <laughs> remember when the uh, other specialist sees the patient, uh, and the you're the HIV physician, so you're probably the one that knows more about the drug interactions. I sometimes even find that the patients don't disclose yes. all the medication Absolutely, to yes. the oncology Oncologist. treatment team which is uh, uh, definitely to their detriment. 
Um, some of the combinations, uh, we, we immediately move off uh, Zidovidin, of course, because it, uh, um, is, uh, it uh, definitely hammers the bone marrow. Uh, and the chemo is going to do all of that anyway. Um, and usually the patient with oncology presents with a low HP. That's the first uh, trigger. So you've already got a few balls up in the air. And um, you're going to be looking after the patient after they have finished. So, and if you don't know what they've been doing, then you also start off a bit blind. Um, and I think that's where the HIV physician can add a lot of value by giving a history of the patient and of how deep the immune system dropped. Um, we now look at a CD4 and viral load and we think everything's fine, but that was the patient that started with a CD4 49. So they're in a different risk category um, because we don't get complete immune reconstitution uh, and it takes a long time. And, they, and that's why we, we see something like Castleman's disease, uh, which is not a true leukemia, but it is still a hole in the immune system. Our patients stay vulnerable to TB at 10 times the rate than a non-HIV positive patient. And TAF is definitely uh, going to help us here because all of the other drugs they're going to be using have an effect on are nephrotoxic. And some of them are only excreted and it actually um, determine some of the oncology resonance. So um, there needs to be a collaboration and just a, a quick exchange of, of some of the information. And especially if, if you're able to give a trend uh, that has been happening, um, it can, can definitely benefit. Um, my recommendation usually is that get the HIV medication switched immediately before the because it's either surgery and or then uh, if it's chemo. new adjuvant mm -hmm. it's radiation and chemo and then surgery and then further um, so there's uh, every oncology patient is nearly unique but the thing that um, you holding together is uh, you, you've got the best history and you're going to have to look after them for, for a long time um, and uh, the the flexibility that we get by switching to TAF. And this will be a medical indication to motivate for a switch. Um, and it will give them a bit more elbow room when they then, uh, um, or if something starts going wrong. Because you know, they're, they're trying to kill the patient without being successful. <laughs> and... Um, <Yeah. laughs> It, uh, whereas the patient has a longer history with you and you need to reassure the patient constantly that you're still abreast of what's going on, technically you're still coordinating and, and supporting the oncology team where they're only going to be seeing, well, after a successful hopeful, um, then for a few, uh, every few years. Um, I learned from a patient that had a gastric carcinoma and he insisted he wanted the best in the world. So I arranged for him to fly to the Mayo. And the 
their biggest concern was that they had the surgery and um, the new adjuvant plan, but they sent me weekly updates to just make sure that I'm still the HIV physician, and if they may change, then it was the favorance due to the possible effect on the anesthetic. So it it, it um, opened my eyes to that, that we are still prescribing very potent drugs. Um, we Because we have the world's largest population, we're going to be doing it for a long time. They are going to be with us because ARVs work. And eventually everybody either develops a, a, a cancer with is related to your age. The, um, the staging or the aggressiveness of the cancers is obviously accelerated with HIV. So if cancer can be rampant, uh, lung cancer as well. Um, and uh, so the, the fact that the patient has the HIV plays a role in the prognosis. So the, the preparation... Uh, and the approach, um, and hopefully avoiding any delays in initiating definitive treatment is critical. Yeah. So I think you raise a very important point that I just wanted to emphasize again and just um, uh, correct me and make sure that I'm saying it in the right way, that as with most of our patients who are on a TDF-based regimen, in the event that they are diagnosed with a non-AIDS malignancy or any cancer, it is imperative, it should be prioritized that even before referral to an oncologist, we put them in the best possible position in terms of safety. So those patients should be prioritized to switch, to be switched to TAF. So that by the time they do get, whether they're going to have neoadjuvant or first surgery, whatever the case is, that they are already on a TAF, on TAF by the time they get there. I think that's the that's best important. choice for the that's patient. That's the best choice. Yeah. So I think that's a, it's a very important point in terms of when one of the conditions or one of the criteria for switching a patient from a TDF to a TAF-based regimen. Are there any other uh, scenarios other than oncology, for instance, where it should be a priority that we should be switching patients to TAF? Okay, we've looked at the drug interactions and uh, the other side effects, but we also have the demineralization of the the, the bones uh, because cortico high dose cortisone is also included in in most of the oncology regimens. So um, you're going to have a plethora of opportunistic infections that could happen. Um, and so you've got to be on top of that as well. Um, if somebody, if you kn- know that somebody is crack positive, you need to tell the oncology team, for example, because, um, it's not necessarily, um, their largest population. Yeah. So you've got your role to play. Um, and then most, Commonly, um, is the androgen deprivation therapy. Now, to the offer is already contributing to the demineralization. Now you're adding another factor. So that's also then a, a reason to switch to TAF or to a TAF-based regimen. Um, because other, uh, although there's zoledronic acid in most of the uh, uh, oncology regimens, because the bone metastases is very likely and um, 
that's the only way that they that they can uh, 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 slow it down if they're not doing radiation of that uh, metastasis. Um, so you have to do your bit as well. Um, and we can not always win back the ground, but the quicker we we have uh, that change, the, the less we, we've lost. And um, pathological fractures is not fun. So um, uh, even in just vertebral collapses, all of those things contribute to severe morbidity of the patient. And um, it will be more aggressive than in a non-HIV patient, but any oncology patient, uh, they could have that. So you you have to be aware also of all of the hormone blockades that's being used um, and the effect that it will have. And then there's some um, of the, the drugs that do really not work nicely, uh, but we very, very, actually never uh, sacrifice um, the ARVs. So that has to push through um, because we don't want to see a flare in the, in the middle of uh, immune suppression from, from chemotherapy. But um, that it's not an option for them, but it allows them to use the bone marrow stimulants earlier and quicker and not wait for the pancytopenias. Uh, so so they, I think it will also reprioritize um, the approach that they have there. But they, they you know, need the information from you and your patient needs the reassurance that you're all working together. Yeah. yeah, so you raised a lot of important points and it just shows how valuable a drug like TAF can be for our patients if we are just a little bit more proactive and make things easier for, for the treaty oncologist or whatever other speciality that our patients may be exposed to. I was, with this, with regard to bone mineral density and osteoporosis in our, in our patients on, on, on TDF, um, you know, I see it in my practice too. Am I waiting? Am I, should, should I be doing more uh, DEXA scans? Are we waiting until there's already established osteoporosis, um, or just osteopenia? Are we doing it so-called prophylactically, what what is sort of the timing around osteoporosis and maybe switching now that we have TAF available and preventing osteoporosis? Is there a specific guideline that we should be looking at when when should we be doing it? I'm not aware of a specific guideline on it, but, but uh, my rule of thumb is if somebody's been on Tenofovir for, for 10 years, um, they've held out very well. So waiting for the wall to break is... Uh, not or the bone to break. <laughs> yes. Um, so they would be on my list to, to, to prioritize because, um, we have got absorption issues with the, uh, the zoledronic acid. Um, it's costly. It's a, it's an additional expense. And yes, you're clawing your way back then with calcium and vitamin D and, uh, uh, vitamin K. So these are things that if, uh, from a, from a medical expense point of view, it is actually wise to take this as a high risk patient and, and, and do that. So if it is a, a lady that, um, for some other reason is not on hormone replacement therapy, smoking, she's got asthma and she's been using corticosteroids for a long time, so she shouldn't be on those, but, that's the real world. Mm. Um, 
that's somebody that that you know is a brittle patient, um, and uh, and even after chemo, they are also uh, demineralized. So um, if they had chemo five ten years ago, then I would also. Mm. I'll put them on, on, on my switch list. Switch them. Because I can imagine it's not going to be a nice discussion you, you, when you're telling your patient, look, I've saved your life from HIV, but I've given you osteoporosis, or I'm about to give you a fracture. So I think we need to be more proactive. So as we've been talking, we can see more and more patients who will be needing TEF or requiring TEF and requiring that switch, which leads us to this big challenge that we have, our constant battle with, with funders, with medical aids. Um, do you see a problem in terms of trying to motivate, based on what we've just been saying, these criteria, uh, adequate reasoning and motivation for them to be changed? What sort of struggle <clears throat> do you anticipate anything that, uh, that we'll be finding with the medical aids? Any change is, is, is a problem. So um, because it's new, it's not on this formula yet, or it's not, available on that option and there is a price difference um so i'm used to motivating the whole time mm. um so i consider it as part of the it comes with the territory yeah um but uh, be concise short to the point uh, it doesn't require a long essay it's just this is what the patient is that's what's going to happen and this is the reason why and um um, I'm also a medical advisor at Schemes, and we also understand that um, th- those additional expenses or, or pathology or admissions or fractures cost us, mm. but not out of the HIV uh, benefit. Yeah. So um, uh, it's a, a patient or a member, and as you said, we must treat them holistically. So um, just put it. Just put pen to paper and and do that effort. Use your script pad like you do a referral, um, and send it through and see and and attach the your prescription your, your new prescription, and um, the how frequently DEXA scans at depending on the risk factors. But at, at every two years, two to three years, it's not a, it's not a cheap investigation, but it's very valuable. Um, and at least you need two to get the trend and to see whether your uh, interventions are actually effective or not. Because by the time that you get the fractures, you don't win back very well. Um, and uh, somebody with a impinged nerve has got a life of misery. Mm. So, um, yes, you might have saved their life, but uh, it's now a living hell. Uh, so they might not be of the same opinion. Uh, later on, uh, and remember when where you started. Mm. So um, I think we we need to be a bit more proactive and, and, and maybe a bit more uh, screen our patients a bit more aggressively for that high risk population. The youth is going to be another issue because they are going to be on these drugs for much longer. So, um, but. There's a lot of things in the pipeline, so but we still have Option. an enormous amount of patients that we will have to stick to the oral medications. Um, it is effective, it's safe, it's one tablet. Uh, we're not making it very complex. I'd rather do that now than end up again with a handful of tablets to be taken, this one with food and this one before, 
so I, I, I'd be a bit more. Um, I'm I'm ready to actually start lining up the motivations. So we've been talking about all these scenarios where it's going to come to a point where where we have to be switching a lot of patients from TDF to to TAF. So if you're going to be switching, just imagine I'm young GP. Well, I'm still young, but we you know, a new patient in front of me, newly diagnosed, and considering that. 10, 15 years down the line, they're going to be on ARVs and it may require a switch. Would it not then be preferable in the patient's interest that I rather initiate with the TAF-based regimen? Would you, would you, would you buy that? Is it important that we consider that? Should we be then starting all our patients on TAF? Where would you, where would you sort of fit that in? Um, I, um, it's not a deal breaker for me. Not for somebody that's now, only starting now, unless they've got a risk factor that you pick up uh, Early. That, that you then change your, your choice. There's nothing wrong with good standard tenofovir. It has saved millions of yes. lives. And we've been using it for the last 15 years. We know how it works. We know what to anticipate. We know how to monitor. TAF doesn't come, TAF has its own shortfalls, and you still have to monitor. So it can still uh, uh, cause complications. Um, so that's not going to be one of the priority cases that I would be motivating for because they're going to be moving on to injectables and mm. uh, by the time that the next big switch happens. Yeah. So it, uh, I think uh, choose your patient, individualize your treatment, and focus your energies and motivation on them. Um, instead of choose, pick your battles. Yeah, I think that's an important point. There's no, as we see in anything in medicine, there's no one size fits all. You have to know your patient. You have to know their condition, their lifestyle, and tailor make a regimen that would that would be ideal for them. That would help them in terms of adherence and compliance, side effect pro- uh, profile, tolerability, and uh, and long term benefit for our patients. Is there? Can you think of maybe any? Scenario: Any patient that would definitely not require TAF. Who, who are those? Where we just you look at the patient, or you see their their, their results. When when is TAF just not not on for that particular patient? Are there any of those? Oh, of course, the, the normal um, uh, with TB. Um, it's not for prep. It's not registered for prep at all. Mm. Um, so not in those cases. High viral load? No, because, still it's, because, because, because it's a fixed dose combination with the dollar trigger reverse, so you're still getting still big, get your big heater at the back. Potency. Yeah, so um, it stands next to TLD. So it's just the the, the option instead of TLD. So, oh, the so you, um, it's not like when you're going to be choosing uh, Roprivirine as your third drug, right. uh, which where the viral load will be a problem. A problem. Um, and there's no other benefit on drug-drug interactions like with CNS drugs and CNS penetration, etc. So that, that, that would not uh, come into the equation. I can't think of anything else, actually, no. Well, patients with already with osteoporosis and that I would, if well, yeah. I had a lady of sixty-three, that so I so that's what I was going to say. Yes. So if you, if the, I'm, I'm just thinking, if the patient is already 
prese- as presented late. So they more elderly. They have not been exposed to any any antiretrovirals for a long time. Newly diagnosed and already already at high risk of comorbid conditions, at high high risk of getting cancers, mm-hmm. and as you mentioned, overweight, higher risk of uh, of um, osteopenia, osteoporosis. I probably would just go straight for a for a TAF combination there. Yes, well, definitely. Now that you mentioned the weight, in oncology patients, weight gain is usually not a problem. <laughs> so it's not going to, you're not going to have uh, the a lot of pushback on that. Yeah. But uh, you are going to just continue to monitor, and it's a calorie intake issue. Yeah. So it's, um, but the patient is sick, the absorption of everything is poor, they're vomiting off the time. So it's, uh, just make it as easy as possible for them. And that's a nice thing about TAF. It's also quick absorption. So in those few hours where they can actually absorb something, I know at least that they're getting it. Um, so where the protease inhibitors is another story. Yeah. You know. So, and, an, and another exciting thing is that it, it'll be a smaller pill. Patients are always much more open to, to size in terms of pills. And, and as we've been saying, if they have comorbid conditions, they're, they're usually taking a lot more pills than just the, just the one. So any benefit in terms of adherence, compliance, tolerability, swallowing a, a smaller pill is always to their advantage. Yeah, definitely. So I think we've um, kind of covered, I think you've made it very clear to, to us in terms of how to manage patients with regard to osteoporosis, some renal effects, and, um, and oncology. And, I, and uh, the message for me is that we really need to be monitoring our patients very carefully over and above HIV. Don't just look at your patient as, a, as someone who is HIV positive on ARVs. Look out for those cancers. Look out for the changes in, in the hemoglobin. Look out for the weight changes. Check the urines and uh, check the bones. Check everything with your patient. Be complete. Don't miss out anything. Don't take shortcuts. And now that we have an exciting option in terms of switching our patients, we can do a lot more to keep them not just alive, but give them a good quality of life. As I said, we've been not going to die from HIV. So let's keep them alive, but keep them healthy. I just remembered that I saw that patient that went to Mayo a month ago. Um, he could pay for it because he's a merchant banker, but he said it was expensive. <laughs> mm. So, um, but he is alive. Yeah. And he has full gastric function. So he's uh, where he would have had a, a gastrectomy and been impaired. His life is absolutely normal. Yeah. Uh, and the only way he picked it up was that he was using a PPI more and more and more. And then the penny dropped. So, um, you know, yeah. fortunately our patients see us a bit more frequently. With cancer, early detection is the best cure. Yeah. And, and having said that, our HIV patients are probably among the healthiest. No other, no other uh, chronic condition do we see patients as often as we do, and and we are usually the first to pick up those subtle differences in terms of the way the patient looks, how the patient feels, and of course in the numbers. So mm. let's uh, let's let's learn a lot more about TAF and see where we can fit it into our patients and how we can make the the lives of our patients more um, more beneficial and uh, work on their longevity. Thank you, Eric. It's good to see you again. Likewise. We can chat soon. Always a pleasure. Thank you.